today I'm speaking to Eleanor Kiria, who is founder and CEO of Elamed, the recruitment company based in London. So there have been lots of changes happening with recruitment over recent years, which have ebbed and flowed with the regulatory changes. Eleanor, how do you see the short and mid-term prospects for those seeking medtech regulatory roles in the EU market? Yeah, so thanks, thanks, Amanda, for um, having me having me on the show today. Um, it's great to, to to have the chance to do this as a, as a sequel to the one that we did a few years ago. So um, I'm really happy to to talk about the topic of talent. So look, I think as far as regulatory goes, it's a relatively stable market. The thing I love about it is that it's it's a function that every company needs and in the same way that every company needs regulatory experts um it gives that level of consistency it's not the kind of job function that is really boom and bust like we see in in other industries right where uh you know there's a change in the market and everything spikes and then actually there's another change and everything drops i would say that you know what what we're seeing at the moment is that it's it remains stable we haven't seen any major like crashes of uh, regulatory affairs jobs. However, what I can definitely say that we've seen, if we talk about this year in particular so far, we've seen a real slowdown in hiring. So if we were to just take the data for Elamed, looking at what we call job flow. So that's about how many jobs, you know, coming into the business, how many jobs were actively recruited at any period of time. If we compare Q1 to Q2, Q2 was 60% lower. So we saw a 60% drop in job flow in Q2 compared to Q1. The good news That's is- That's pretty massive. <laughs> big, it's big. The good news is, um, the real good news here is that we're currently recording this in July and um, we've seen already a turnaround. We're seeing a comeback already to that. So this is not a downward trend that I'm expecting to see for the rest of the, rest of the year. And actually, I can also say that I don't believe that that is specifically a trend that is only for Elamed and only for recruitment businesses um, and only for regulatory affairs roles. Having spoken to lots of my peers, um, also actively recruiting in other industries, this is a general trend that we've seen across the whole industry. Um, and this is, you know, this is this is a, a bigger worldwide uh, cause, you know, rather than just saying, OK, this is what we're seeing um, for these specific job roles is actually a bigger trend that we're seeing across many industries and across many job roles. So what do you think the main influences are in how the medtech market specifically is changing? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's not, it's not been a secret that Q1 was not a great quarter for a lot of companies, you know. Um, some of the big uh, American players reported losses in Q1. They reported um, share values decreasing. Um, and also we've come out of, for what for a lot of medtech companies you know that have broad portfolios and that aren't only in elective surgeries they have you know covid did have a positive impact you know for, for their business right so then looking at q1 of 2023 um they've seen a, a downturn there's also supply chain issues that uh, you know a lot of them have, have have cited and increased payroll costs you know salaries and salaries have increased it's, it's more expensive now to actually you know have people employed in your business you know and manufacturing costs have increased I believe you know anecdotally I've had many conversations and what I'm seeing is that it really is a financial reasoning behind this so we've seen in big companies um, decreases in profitability in Q1 um, compared to what they were expecting um, and so then what they look to do is trim the fat 
right? So what does trim the fat looks like? Well, it looks like payroll is for a lot of companies, it's one of their biggest costs. So, you know, how can we slim down headcount? How can we uh, restructure organizations in order to have to have maybe one person covering more responsibilities than two individual people? And in the startup world, um, what we're seeing is um, investors being more cautious because recession, you know, there's a so 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 therefore they're thinking about, OK, well, actually, we're not just going to throw money around. Uh, arguably, it has been a really good run for startup companies, uh, but actually investors are more cautious about where they're putting their money. Right. So they're saying, OK, well, actually, we need to see a faster return on investment. And that compounded with, I know we're going to get into the, the MDR and the IVDR, but actually return on investment for a lot of investors is some sort of exit or product getting to market, right? And actually, if there's additional delays in products getting to market, arguably that has a knock-on effect. And so investors are saying to startup companies, you need to make your money last longer. And then that has a knock-on on hiring, right? So then they say, okay, we need to do more with less people and so on and so forth. So it's all interlinked. Big question is, does this mean that candidates can expect more pressurised jobs? I think we've come. So so what I can say in terms of what I'm seeing, right? So during COVID, we had this sort of change in dynamic, if you like, right? Where And we, and we spoke about this, didn't we? So we spoke about how, and I know Element put out lots of pieces about this, about how sort of like the candidate was really in the driving seat and uh, people's people's wants were changing and they wanted more flexibility and more salary and more this and more that. And, you know, what I'm seeing is a bit of a shift in dynamic. So now those people that got dramatic and I'm talking huge salary increases, you know, to stay where they were by their company as a retention tool. All of a sudden their companies are looking at their P&Ls and saying, OK, well, actually now, like, you know, we need to trim the fat. What are we going to do? Right. And so actually, can we do more with less? So I don't think it's about additional pressure, but I think it's about. Well, the smart companies out there are going to be looking at how can we optimize efficiency and keep our people happy? Because ultimately, you can't run a business without people. We're not there yet. Right. So you need to, you know, running a business is still a people is still a people game. But it's about looking for tools, techniques and efficiencies in the way you're working. And then we can talk about AI and, and, and other sorts of things that are coming up, you know, that I believe are going to are going to help that. Yeah, that's um, one question that springs to mind is um, remembering how, as you mentioned, some people were getting much more, well, much bigger salaries um, because of the re- recent increase in demand for medtech regulatory experts. Are they more the more vulnerable ones now, do you think? With some companies, it was it became a challenge for them, right? Because if they have a team of five people and they've got four people that have been there for the last three years on X salary, and then they're hiring someone who, for whatever reason, the only way that they could get that person was to pay an additional 30%. So what we would see is that companies would would really try to not do that because they didn't want to have that inconsistency in the team. But assuming that maybe one company did, well, if the, if, if, if cost and you know ultimately profit is, is an issue for them, well, they're not going to be able to increase the whole team's salary by 30%, right? So then it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do? So what we're seeing other companies do, you know, it's not really, it's not only about sort of layoffs and, you know, this is not the message here, but the companies have, for example, you know, looked at either bringing in junior people from the, you know, into the team, internships, 
putting people through, for example, Elements Mentoring Program, right? We've had companies that have put more junior people through there and, you know, they get matched with a mentor and then all of a sudden, actually, they have that, that next level of support. Or they're looking at, okay, well, how do we upskill the people we already have in our teams? Because also upskilling is a form of career progression, right? It's not just about take, going up the ladder, but it's about that constant thing of being developed and learning new things and developing new tools. So although we did see overall a, an increase in, in salaries in the last couple of years, I can't say that, there were, that, that we saw a, a trend of companies really making huge, huge, uh, huge hires that were really out of kilter with the team. Honestly speaking, if, if you want to talk about salaries and costs, the ones that most often are at risk, especially in larger organisations, when it comes to cost, are normally the most senior level type executives, um, because, you know, there's the argument that for one of their salaries, they could hire probably uh, quite a few uh, people that could be more operational. So I really think that, you know, we have to look at this holistically, you know, and and look at how a whole organisation works. Yeah, thank you for that. It was very interesting to hear. And um, you've already touched on the subject of AI and the amending regulations. So I think if we turn now to the amending regulations, uh, how much of an influence have the IVDR amending regulation and the more recent MDR amending regulation and the extensions to deadline for compliance that they've brought. How much influence have those had our medtech manufacturers and their recruiting policies? Yeah, so I think there was an initial sort of like sigh of relief. And, you know, I've been speaking to a lot of companies, my team, you know, every single day we're speaking to people, right? And, and, I, and I also, you know, sought their, their feedback on this. And generally, you know, the companies that, understands the impact of this regulation and the benefit of being ready for it haven't really changed their plan right so they're still going for it the companies that were unprepared (laughs) for want of a better way to say it the companies that perhaps were unprepared or less prepared um, and sort of hoping uh, that something was going to change at the last minute um generally were the ones or are the ones that have said okay actually we're going to just stop all hiring we don't need to hire this now for 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 more more time so we're just going to wait a little bit longer and then we're going to pick up the hiring the challenge that those companies face is that if they've got people in their company that have been working on this and all of a sudden their company's gone right we're deprioritizing this this is no longer a priority it just means that those people are going to be questioning whether or not they want to stay in that kind of company so we're actually seeing we're having conversations with people who are perhaps in companies like that that are considering making career moves because also we tend to see these trends around people wanting to almost like finish a project before they make that move right and so with the dates being you know so close originally there were people that were thinking right I'm going to get that project over the line and then we're going to think about a change where the dates have now been you know kicked back then you have this thing of people going well do I really want to continue doing this in this company you know for couple more years or maybe I'll make that move now and help another company get it over the line right so um, we're starting to see these types of trends what one thing that I can also say another thing that I've noticed is that companies that have decided to let's say slow down the urgency around hiring because again it all comes back to cost and actually if they don't need to hire this person this quarter maybe they'll kick back that higher that's not just about hiring right so I've been speaking to big consulting companies and small consulting companies and they see the same trend so projects where they would have consultants running on those projects 
um, working on helping get the company ready for, you know, the, the day of applications. Actually, those those companies are saying, well, actually, we're going to just pause that project for now. You know, actually, we're just going to stop it for now. Redivert the cash just to, to another more pressing issue within the business and pick this back up later. The challenge, I think, is that ultimately we're going to end up in a situation that we were in before if people aren't planning it well. Right. Which means that we're going to end up in a situation where there's, again, massive talent shortage. You know, everyone's going to be scrapping for the same people and uh, everyone's going to be looking around and saying, OK, well, where do we go from here? Because, you know, we've already had the amending regulations. So now, you know, so I think companies, what they need to do is get prepared and they need to think about how can I get in front of the curve? Right. And if they make those hires now, they're already building that momentum and they won't be impacted by the bottleneck that will inevitably come later on down the line. Yeah, of course, in those amending regulations, you do have the staggered deadlines over a series of years. So it would seem sensible for companies to keep the staff um, on and gradually use them according to the different levels of risk of the products and as they get uh, as they reach their deadlines. Uh, But it's interesting to hear what you say about some uh, employees actually taking their own initiative and wanting to leave because, you know, those deadlines have been extended out and they don't have such challenging and interesting roles, perhaps. And I, I think we also need to talk, just like, just make the point about how companies operate, right? And there is really, truly a cultural difference, right? So what we tend to see, you know, generally is that American companies tend to have more of a culture of quarter to quarter. And what we tend to see with European businesses is that they take a slightly longer term view. The the culture of the company as well will determine whether or not they, for example, say, right, we're going to keep running with these additional increased costs because, you know, the long term view is that that's the right decision to make. But actually, the short term view is that our our profits aren't going to look so good. So that's, you know, that's also the, the thing that companies need to think about. So are you saying there's more sort of hire and fire in American companies? I'm not saying that, Amanda, you're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I would say American companies do do have more of a focus on quarter to quarter, right? Like um, yeah. you know, it's it's that's just naturally the the way that the market moves um for them. And also what we've got to think as well is that the American job market is completely different to the European job market, right? So, you know, in America, the average notice period is two weeks, right? So you know, imagine, right, you, you you need to hire someone, you need to make that hire, you know, you find the candidate, they start with you two weeks later. In Europe, on average, you look at about three months, I would say. In Germany, sometimes it's six months, and sometimes it's six months at the end of the quarter. So you naturally need to be, you know, you need to be like that much more forward looking, because if you're saying, okay, we need to make these hires, or we need to hit this deadline, we need to make this project, you need to work backwards, okay, we need to have these people in place by then, actually, we've got to wait three months for them to start, so actually our recruitment process, and that's what we try to do with companies, actually work backwards, and say, okay, from the deadline that you need that person in, let's work backwards to set up some milestones for actually when we need to start recruiting them, and that's how you do really good planning of hiring. Some really interesting observations that have come off the back of the impact of these amending regulations. So I'm going to turn to uh, AI now. Uh, Technology in the medtech space is obviously changing very rapidly. 
How much of an influence is AI on recruitment trends? Is it replacing med tech roles, are you seeing, or aspects of them, so that the nature of jobs out there are changing? You can't talk about the future and not talk about the, the influence that technology and AI will have. I like to take an optimistic view. And here we're talking about AI, which is really about solving specific problems rather than AGI, which is like the gen like taking it to the general intelligence level of, of humans, right? So let's talk about AI. I believe that AI is going to create efficiency, you know, it's going to take away the repetitive tasks. And this isn't even just of our market, this is of every job in the world, right? Like it's going to take away whatever wherever there's repetition, wherever there's mundane tasks that can be done more efficiently and effectively by an AI, that that will be done. It will improve accuracy because it reduces human error in certain certain aspects. So anything to do with like data analysis and uh, collating data, I think that there we're going to see also, you know, AI stepping up and having more of a role to play. In quality, I think that we're going to start to see, we've already started to see AI getting more involved in sort of predicting errors and being part of the quality management system and, and interpreting mass data. So companies that are in particular where they have really high volume of products AI can do some really cool things around um, identifying and almost uh, understand trying to figure out trends before they they potentially happen. So it's more preventative um, for companies, which you know hopefully should result in less issues when the product's out in the market itself, right? So that's all positive. So I do believe it has a role to play. I don't believe it's going to completely replace the jobs that we do, but I do believe that there's going to be new skills that are going to come out of it that people need to be thinking about, right? And, and in order to get ahead of the curve, it's about understanding, okay, well, if I look at my job role, like what is the thing that that AI definitely can't do? And what is the thing that AI, AI can do? And lean into uh, really becoming an expert in the areas that AI can't do. Regulatory strategy, right? Really trying to be able to identify that. Everything human related that needs a human interaction and human involvement, working on project teams, you know, that sort of thing. That's not going to go anywhere. I think that it can be really scary to think about the future and say, okay, AI is going to replace replace jobs. But I, I really don't think it, it is. When you have AI, right, AI might be able to then uh, automate the process. But then what you need is somebody that can really understand how to interpret the output of what the AI creates, right? But also somebody that knows how to prompt the AI to do what you want it to do. So I really believe that skills are, I mean, even within my team, right? You know, when we're looking at, you know, how we're using AI, I'm looking for people that can really understand, like, how do you ask it to do what you want it to do? Because the quality of the outcome is all to do with the quality of what you, of what you ask it to do and how you ask it to do it. So there's going to be pockets of new skills that are going to come out of this. So it's just about keeping your finger on the pulse and I think embracing the technology and and then becoming sort of expert in the areas that, you know, um, AI will not be able to do. In terms of how candidates do the physical job of making their applications and how recruiters are sifting through those applications, does AI help there? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, this, you know, the, the, the more savvy uh, candidate, you know, are asking AI to write their cover letters, are asking AI to review their CV and, uh, you know, insert keywords relative to this specific job that they're applying for, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, what we're seeing is 
high quality applications. But what that does is that that puts even bigger emphasis on the interview process, right? So it might mean that, yes, okay, AI can help you create a really good cover letter um, and create a really good CV. But then if everybody starts to do that, it raises the bar of the quality of the initial application. But ultimately, again, coming back to the point of running a business is still a human game. It still requires human interaction. Actually, what becomes really important is how that person does when they go to interview. How do they answer questions? What questions do they ask? How do they come across? And that's why at Elemed, we put such a big emphasis on, you know, really supporting the candidate during the interview process. I think that also what we've started to see are companies embracing more and more technology as part of their recruitment process. So I'm not talking about the really heavy uh, online application where you have to upload your CV and then re-enter your CV and all of that sort of stuff. I think everybody feels the pain of having to do that. I'm talking about more intelligently through the process. So using um, tools to understand personality profiling, using tools to understand behavior, that's not specifically AI. That could, that could just be, um, you know, um, just general psychometric testing. But we are seeing companies move more to that and actually trying to use science uh, in their decision rather than just this, what historically has always just been a gut feeling. And there's two sides of the argument. Some people will say, well, the gut feeling is always right and we have to lean on it. But also it is helpful sometimes to use these psychometric tests or ev- psychometric you know, evaluations to prompt further discussion. The thing about psychometric tests is that you should never use them as a pass or fail type uh, type approach, but actually you use it to inform further discussion later on and see how actually the, the individual reacts at that point. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be done, Amanda. There's still a lot. There's a lot coming. Very interesting, especially hearing about the role of psychometric testing. And, you know, you don't want to pigeonhole people with those results, do you? So, but um, informing a, di- a further dialogue sounds very interesting. Yeah. So just a quick question about whether you're seeing different trends when it comes to recruitment by manufacturers, notified bodies and competent authorities in the EU medtech regulatory area. Is there a difference between those different organisations in the way they're approaching recruitment at the moment or the numbers of jobs that they have? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's no secret that notified bodies are hiring, uh, you know, significantly because they hire the most of that specific skill set. You know, I think also when we talk about manufacturers, we really need to distinguish different types of manufacturers by uh, company size. Often, you know, um, larger companies tend to have more of a robust uh, multi-stage recruitment process. They tend to be more uh restricted around you know having set budgets having set boxes around okay this is what the role is and this is what the role isn't what we tend to find in smaller companies you know startups mid-sized companies you have these people that wear multiple hats so roles tend to be a little bit more flexible right they tend to have not flexible in terms of um work from home i'm talking more about like what you do in your daily job right it it, it has maybe you have regulatory and quality regulatory and clinical so you tend to wear these these multiple hats you know, what else can I tell you? I think notified bodies, you know, they have the the constant challenge of, you know, and I really do feel for them because it's, it's a real challenge. You know, they're, they're limited by what the regulation says around what they can hire and how they can hire. And then they have to, you know, hire these people that uh, we've already said recruitment processes. They move slowly in Europe and they're hiring these people in Europe. So 
they have a slow lead time on actually being able to hire them once they hire them they then have to get them trained which takes a long period of time so actually to get them up and running um you know but they're working with significant lead times you know it is real it is a real challenge we need more notified bodies we need to find a way to attract the right kinds of people faster so we're hiring for those five bodies. If anyone on, on, on your podcast is interested, <laughs> contact me. Right. OK. So that message is loud and clear. Well, I think that's probably a really positive note on which to finish. So, Eleanor, I'd like to thank you for the valuable insights that you've provided to those who are job seeking and also to those who are seeking talent as well right now. It's really an interesting area and it reflects the dynamics that are going on with the regulations and yes people need to be aware of what's happening to optimally position themselves or their jobs so thank you Eleanor. No my pleasure thanks so much for having me back Amanda.